here. He's here. Now, in a random student media building, deep in the bowels of the recording studio, under the wooden plaster of a marked building, we once again make contact with our lead analyst, Scott Harris. Hey, 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 people. Scott here. Sorry for missing last week. I did not anticipate the election to, you know, drag out for... uh whole week basically we actually just found out officially the associated press has called it the republicans have officially have a majority in the house of representatives barely and it took a week for us to find that out this is going to be a running topic for uh today's uh show today so in all words this is a complete disaster The GOP estimated a red wave. Every single major pollster was talking about a red wave. I was saying there was going to be a red wave. Well, I admit to myself, and every other pollster has admitted, they're wrong. There was no red wave. It's a faucet leak, if anything. Now, why is this the case? Well, let's start, for starters, Georgia. It's going to a runoff. We'll talk about, we'll touch more on basis with that later. The Senate race is going to a runoff. However, the governor's race, uh, incumbent Brian Kemp Trounce, he got well over 50% of the vote against uh, his rematch versus uh, Stacey Abrams, who's uh, now 2-0 for the Georgia governorship, or 0-2, I I must say, for the uh, Georgia governorship. So where was the red wave? Well, here's what's interesting. The actual, the RCP projection showed a 2.5 generic ballot vote for the House of Representatives. It was actually closer to, it was in between 5 and 6%. 5 to to, to 6% more people voted for Republicans than Democrats in House elections this year. That is insane. So why, out of that supposed numerical red wave, is there basically a faucet leak for the House and the Senate is basically a lost cause at this point? Well, the red wave did happen. It just didn't happen where it really needed to happen. Now, out of all the seats that were flipped, the most critical ones were in New York and Maryland and Virginia. Those three states had some of the most key house races this time around for Republicans. And they kind of lost the... The GOP lost momentum in Maryland. They flipped some seats in Virginia, but not all the ones they really needed to. A lot of good candidates put up some really good fights, but it just wasn't enough. However, in New York, New York, nominee Zeldin carried hard this time around, actually threatening uh, Democrat incumbent Governor Hochul, Hochul, the replacement for Cuomo. He got into the threatening position for against a Democrat in New York. There are now 10, 10, it's now the ratio of House representatives is 10 Republicans and 14 Democrats. In an actual full red wave election, there could be majority Republicans in the House of Representatives from New York. That's unimaginable. Like, ask, ask yourself, would you say... Seven years, eight years ago, would you ask, oh, there's a chance that Chuck Schumer would only, uh, 
would lose 15%, 15 points between 2016 and 2022 for his re-election. Nobody would have thought that back in the day, but it's happening. Chuck Schumer won by won 70% of the vote in 2016 for his re-election. He only got 55%. Now, is, is winning 55% really good? Yeah, it's pretty good. But he got he lost he won at a lower margin than Marco Rubio did. I'm gonna touch on Florida a lot, because Florida is very interesting. New York and Florida are the reason why the GOP were able to take the House. Without those two states and the redistricting done, the GOP wouldn't have taken the House. Especially in this in this condition, or at least what it said. The voting, the counting of ballots slowed down to a crawl. We didn't know any results, like the day of. We knew some key ones. The most important one we knew, we found immediately, was that the Yeti Fetterman is going to be the next senator of Pennsylvania. We will have a Yeti in Congress. Let's go. The next day, Blinken, over 6'5". Woo! Regardless, I digress. We did find out other news. Uh, Mitch McConnell is going to hold, is retaining his... Uh, spot as GOP Senate leader, whether he is the majority or the minority leader remains to be seen. We have to wait for Georgia, of course. I'll get on to the current standings of the uh, Senate later on. But regardless, the House is looking very funky. It's not looking great. Uh, Washington's third district's Joe Kent, MAGA Republican, lost, barely, in a plus seven Trump district uh, in 2020. Not great. Not great in the slightest. Now, I want to talk about interesting why. Well, people have, have the reasonings. However, some say abortion was the thing that carried the Democrats, whereas I personally disagree. Uh, NBC had a poll. Basically, they had a bunch during their live coverage of 2022. They had a bunch of exit polls showing what is your most important issue. And only 35% of people said abortion was their top priority, leaving a whopping 65% of people basically other issues, primarily inflation. Inflation was the biggest issue reported, followed by immigration, crime, etc. And so abortion definitely helped the Democrats. It didn't carry him. So what did carry him? Well, I laughed at the what was happening during the primaries. If you don't remember during the primaries, basically the MAGA candidates sweeped over basically all other Republicans. And this was, there was two components to this. One was Trump campaigning hard. And two was basically a super PACs basically pouring money into uh, these specific Republican candidates, which it's really weird psychology, but it works like immensely. So APAC is probably the biggest example of this APAC, which is um, the American Israeli super PAC that basically promotes uh, friendly relations between the U S and Israel basically poured millions and millions of dollars into MAGA Republican candidates to beat uh, just regular Republicans in the primaries Hence, you know, Liz Cheney losing her primary and basically now becoming irrelevant. Along with um, a host other of different Republicans who were deemed rhinos or, uh, I guess, compassionate conservatives with, like, say, the exception of Romney. 
Granted, Romney wasn't up for re-election this year, so whatever. Anyways, uh, the voting system crawled to a crawl. What we do have, what do I mean by this? Well, states that I did not expect to take days to count, literally the entire West Coast, what the heck, uh, did take days to count. Like, I didn't know, we didn't find out who won Washington's third district until like two or three days ago. The Oregon governor's race wasn't called day one, which is had me baffled because like, you know, in Oregon, you either turn in your ballot at a box at 8 p.m. or you, uh, you mailed it two weeks in advance and they tally it all together. It's weird because the election counting process took very a very long time for more states than expected. However, there's a much lower voter turnout, like in total. You got to keep in mind, midterms are like prime, oh, I'm just not going to go vote because it doesn't matter because people believe that the presidential election is the only election that matters when, in fact, it doesn't. Every election matters. That's why, you know, we have them every two years to figure out stuff for the country and so forth. Now, what's interesting is that I'm going to get to Florida in a minute, but just to quickly, briefly mention, uh, people are now looking to uh, current Governor DeSantis, who basically trounced and dominated in his last ele- in the re-election. All Florida's votes were counted enough by the time that uh, all the votes have been counted that the margin had already projected that DeSantis and Rubio would both win re-election for governor and Senate. Now, in terms of peer statistics, Biden has had literally the best midterm any president in the past 20 or 30 years could possibly imagine. I'm talking literally everybody, Obama, Bush, uh, Trump. He literally had a better midterm than anybody. Barely lost the House and is looking to keep the Senate. It's unclear of how it's going to go yet. We still have to wait for uh, Georgia to fire off, which is coming up in on December 6th. But that remains to be seen, but we shall see. It all rests on Georgia. We're going to talk about more about that later. It's interesting, too, because inflation is going up. Gas prices, they've gone down. They're still high. I'll touch on that in a bit later, too. He has a very, he's the lowest approval rating of any president during their first term. Lower than Trump, lower than Obama, lower than Bush. Lower than everybody. And yet he has had the single best presidential midterm performance in literally the 21st century. Like it's unheard of, honestly. The red wave hit the blue wall, uh, leaked through a little bit through the brick and mortar and some drops came through and whatnot. And, uh, uh, McCarthy is looking like he's a bit in trouble or he's going to have a hard time uh, reeling in like the members of the House. However, I did see some reports that uh, McCarthy does not have actually the votes to become Speaker of the House, even though he, the Republicans, will take the House. We shall see. This remains to be unseen. However, what's interesting to note is that every uh, MAGA-endorsed candidate by Trump basically either lost or performed really, really poorly. Uh, it's interesting. In Colorado, Representative uh, Boebert uh, was like on track to lose until it got to the 99% of votes reporting mark and she won 
she's probably going to win. They haven't called the race yet officially. It's looking like she's going to win. However, she's at like a 1,000 vote plus in a district that like Trump carried in the last election. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, honestly, this election is so weird. High GOP generic ballot, 5%. Barely takes the House. No Senate. Uh, Masters and Laxalot. Laxit? The guy in Arizona, they both lost. Laxit was looking on track to win. He lost to the astronaut. I, that, that's what I'm going to say. Or was it the other way around? Anyways. Let's get back to Oregon, the home state, where I'm at right now. It's pretty good. It's all right. It's beautiful. It's autumn. It's nice. Let's talk about the house. So all the house districts in Oregon have been called. Mike Erickson, who was in my district, lost to uh, the Democrats who retain their four seats from Oregon. However, the Democrats lost the seat in Oregon's fifth district, making Oregon a now 4-2 state. It seemed like there might have been a chance earlier this week that uh, the Republicans might make uh, Oregon a 3-3 state, which would be literally insane when if you think about it or like if you think what in your near mind Oregon is. In other news, Senator Wyden has won his re-election handily. There was pretty much no doubt that he was going to win that. Perkins honestly didn't really have a chance. Now I get to the governorship. Oh, boy. So, in the governorship, Tina Kotek won over Drazen with a 3.3% lead. However, the Dems have lost their supermajority in the Oregon legislature in both the Senate and the Oregon House. What does this mean? Well, no new taxes without compromise. That's what it means. No new taxes. They have to compromise with the Republicans now. However, pretty much every measure that was put on the ballot for Oregon this time around passed. Uh... In terms of what our topics are today, the most important are the uh, the uh, measure on basically forbidding, not really forbidding, but putting a cap on how many times the legislators can walk out and stop a legislative session from occurring or happening. And that's 10 absences, or yes, unexcused absences. But And then if they do, if they missed more than 10 sessions, then they just lose. They lose the right to re-election, which it won a handy majority. About over 60% of Oregon's, uh, Oregonians voted in favor. In terms of a county map, there was probably only three counties in the state that voted a majority no, and those counties were in rural eastern Oregon. Betsy Johnson took 8.6% of the vote, barely scraping over 150,000 votes. Pretty strong on her part, a bit of a strong... Definitely a stronger performance than people were estimating her, but however, not strong enough to clear a path for Drazen to attain victory. Now, I noticed this is that what helped the co- what really helped the co- the Kotak campaign. Well, I've noticed, and I did a bit of research on it. They were basically running specific targeting ads, basically saying a vote for Johnson was a vote for Drazen, even though it literally isn't, because they're two very different candidates when you compare them on a uh, issue by issue basis. So it's fact. It's fact. It's 
it's incorrect. It's basically uh, the ads folk. Sorry, I'm the mic. The ads focus on basically promoting the duopoly of American politics, and that was kind of her focus into the last few weeks. Is kind of the fear mongering of around Drazen, and basically going after Betsy as much as possible to scrounge up the votes. Now, what's interesting about Drazen is that she did win Salem and Marion County at large, and most of the other counties in Oregon. She performed exceedingly well in uh, the county where uh, Eugene resides in. However, her main loss, which not really a shocker, was Multnomah, where Portland's at. Well, you see, my prediction is that basically Drazen did not compete enough in the suburbs. Washington County was Washington and Clackamas County were basically her keys to victory. Basically, she didn't fight hard enough in the suburbs. She put up a very, very good fight, but just not enough. Not to mention Kotek's uh, ads against uh, Johnson didn't help Drazen either. But that's besides the point. So the Kotek administration will be the next Oregon administration in Oregon. However, it'll be interesting to see that the the Democrat trifecta in Oregon is going to be hampered without the supermajority. We'll see how that uh, impacts because as well as I can imagine, new taxes were probably on the plan for the Kotec administration, but now they have to figure out, okay, how are we going to figure this out? What are we going to do? Touching on New York, I mentioned it earlier. Uh, Zeldin, who was the Republican nominee for governor, came within 10 points that's it. It's a lot. I admit, it's a lot. He lost by a wide margin. However, it's scary for New York Democrats. Like I said, I mentioned before, it's 10 Republicans to 14 Democrat House seats in one of the largest states in the country. Like, this isn't a good sign for them. It could lead the trend. It seems like there's a, a trend almost that New York is slowly becoming more and more red. Is that because people are moving out or people moving in? I don't know exactly, but we see that there's been a lot of effort into maybe New York turning red and maybe definitely not in the next election, but easily maybe in two, three, or four. We shall see. Now, probably out of all things, the biggest piece of news, it happened last night. Uh, If you're not aware, uh, Trump had an announcement. He announced actually on the 7th that he was going to hold an announcement on the 15th, which was last night, in which he did. He announced that uh, he would be running for uh, president for the 2024 election. Now, this comes at a very interesting time. Trump, after the midterm popularity, his midterm, his Trump's popularity was... It wasn't super, super high, but it wasn't super, super low either, especially among Republicans. However, following the midterms, his popularity has basically tanked, leading for uh, DeSantis to maybe even claim the nomination potentially. Now, Trump, during his speech, just kind of went on a long ramble, listed his accomplishments, air quotes, or in terms of what he views as accomplishments, what he views as Biden's failures, um, more importantly, I guess in terms of soonish or recent news, he he endorsed Herschel Walker and basically said we must do everything we can. I'm paraphrasing, of course. We must do everything we can to get Walker elected in the Senate because if Walker wins the election, uh, the Republicans can take the Senate also. 
They have the seats. It's currently 47 Democrats, two independents who vote Democrat on every single issue, so they're basically Democrats, and then 50 Republicans. The Alaska election isn't over yet because they uh, Alaska has ranked choice voting, which basically means the top two candidates face off in a second-round election. So Alaska taking a long time. That makes complete sense. They have two rounds of voting they have to get through. It's kind of the similar thing in France where they have several rounds of uh, elections. Candidates have to get over a certain margin of votes, and then it just weeds out candidates as it goes on and on. But I digress. Basically, the top two winners in Alaska were two Republicans. And within Trump's speech, he... (laughs) I found it quite amusing when I was watching last night. He had some lameness. Uh, playing, and then um, some other song. It's like, I'm proud to be an American. That one. Uh, Anyways, he also laid out his plans for his 2024 administration if he gets elected. Basically, strong borders, economic policy, foreign policy, etc. Three things that he did put, though, that he mentioned, I found particularly interesting was he wants to uh, set Congress uh, term limits in Congress, which I found very, very interesting because I haven't really heard many major politicians, at least not as big as Trump, speak on that. Also ban stock trading for Congress members and also ban like congressional lobbying, which is very interesting because like it seems like Trump, as a businessman, would greatly benefit from all three of these things, but he's basically actively saying, no, I don't want to do that, or I want to stop this. I just found this really interesting because like it was, it was for when I was listening to it last night, it was just something that came out like completely out of left field. Now, how many term limits for members of Congress? I don't know exactly. He didn't really specify. He just said that there should be. Um, honestly, I support congressional term limits. I mean, think about it. Chuck Grassley of Iowa has won his sixth term as senator. That's six more years. And I believe he's like, he's in his, he's in his late to mid eighties. He's older than Joe Biden. That's for perspective. McConnell, super old too. Nancy Pelosi, super old, like, to give you a figure of how old Nancy Pelosi is, she met she was a teenager during the Kennedy administration. Like just to give you some perspective on that. I guess in my personal opinion, I feel like in terms of congressional term limits, uh, senators should only be limited to two terms and house members should be limited to four. I say this because I feel like it's pretty reasonable. Uh a two like, think about it. Two terms for a senator is 12 years. Like, think about that. Like, that's that's crazy. And then four terms for a House representative is eight years, which is just two. It's either, you know, two administrations or two in, or a full eight years of a presidency. Now, the obvious advantage of this is basically, one, you have people who aren't, on like dementia medication running the country. You have people who actually retire and also people who are like 
basically entrenched in politics for literally their entire life. It helps basically bring a fresh pool of people with new ideas instead of just uh, people who have just been there so long that they've just become so entrenched within the system that they don't want to do anything or change anything like at all. Think of like, say Mitch McConnell would not like say, let's put this in perspective. Uh, Nancy Pelosi would have been a house representative in like the, in the seventies and eighties, Joe Biden would have only served between like the seventies and also uh, the, the early eighties Mitch McConnell would only have served, you know, 70s, 80s, and whatnot. Uh, Just overall, like, think about it. New idea, new constant ideas from new people coming into our legislator and stuff like that. Now, I want to talk about my new favorite politician in Washington. I say favorite, not based on policy, just based on appearance purely. Uh, Fetterman, the Yeti himself, the Yeti man, has arrived to his brand new office in the Senate. Um, If you don't know, basically even like immediately after elections are done, the great migration of Congress begins. Every election, if some people lose or win or whatever. Basically, every member of Congress has an office, like a federal office, basically, and... They move all their in-custom stuff and they take out all their custom stuff that they lose and then they move in new stuff if they get reelected and so on and so on. So a lot of people who lost their seats in this election had to uh, just, you know, move out basically already. And Fetterman moved in. He got sworn in, got sworn. They showed up, took a photo with his wife in front of his new office. He was wearing the same suit that he wore when he debated Dr. Oz, which Oz... He's just gone. I I haven't heard anything from him since. I'm a little sad. I was really looking forward to the whole hoodie short uh, uh, drip or like apparel that Fetterman has basically been only campaigning on. Um, But hopefully we see that. I would love to see the cargo shorts black hoodie on like, you know, a 6'8 man just in Congress, just towering everybody. Like nobody's going to question him. Like the man's just going to wear a hoodie and cargo shorts. Nobody's going to do anything about that. Let him be. He's just chilling. Anywho, but yet some other interesting news uh, following the election. I am uh, I I mentioned this earlier. Ron DeSantis cleaned house on Tuesday on Tuesday the eighth. Won double digit margins, basically one of the greatest like re-election campaigns in terms of just pure numbers. Now, what DeSantis has in common is that he's he has a bit of commonality. W- oh, sorry, I just bumped the table. He has a commonality with uh, Governor Yunkin of uh, Virginia, who won a massive upset in 2021. Now, they're both in Trump's crosshairs for whatever reason. Well, whatever reason. Th- Trump feels he's threatened by DeSantis and Yunkin, even though they li- neither of them have literally spoken out against them. Like DeSantis did, said something. I'll get to that in a minute. But, you know, the Don, Donald ha- Trump has been, like, coming out saying, Ron Sanctimonious, he said, Youngkin. It was it was one of the strangest posts I've ever seen because 
it was just a, like, it was, I don't know, it was incoherent rambling of sorts. I don't know how, how, how else to explain it, honestly. It was a post on True Social, uh, Trump's uh, social media platform that he regularly posts on. He was talking smack about Governor Youngkin, but he also added the fact that Youngkin sounds Chinese. I, do, I, I don't know why. I was just really confused. It just seems like, why would you even say that or mention it? Like, it, it just doesn't make sense. But anyways, my greater point, he's going after them mainly because people are saying, well, all of Trump's candidates either lost or had poor performances. DeSantis actually had an amazing performance, and Republicans took a lot of House seats, particularly in Florida, after uh, redistricting and whatnot. Like I mentioned earlier, Joe Kent, Washington 3rd District, uh, MAGA Republican, lost in a plus-7 Trump district in 2020. Uh, yeah, it was just very strange. DeSantis made a remark during one of his press conferences after the re-election saying, like, a reporter was basically, I'm paraphrasing, but, like, a reporter was asking, oh, what do you think of Trump's comments against you? And DeSantis just goes, like, just look at the scoreboard on Tuesday on the 8th. He's not wrong. Now, what's most interesting is that every single poll I've seen following, uh, Tuesday the 8th, has put DeSantis ahead of Trump in every 2024 uh, 2020, uh, GOP primary poll. DeSantis is now pulling ahead by solid lead, some four points, some six. Sorry about that. And then I saw in a poll earlier today, the poll being uh, a the first, actually it's the first poll I've seen about a 2024 just presidential general election, like a head-to-head competition. And so the first one, it's about 1,000 recipients. Uh, in a race between uh, Governor DeSantis and President Biden, uh, DeSantis polled ahead at 4% more ahead of uh, Biden at a 49-45% ratio. In a Trump versus Biden uh, poll, same people who voted in the last one, uh, Trump was only up by 2% ahead of Biden, but the margins are closer, 48-46. Now, I think just overall, it's Trump is scared. He knows that if DeSantis decides to run in, a primary, in the primary, which he has a lot of time to do, the first Iowa, with the Iowa caucus, which is the first primary, isn't held until the election year itself. Um, and then... Some debates would be held, maybe, but we'll see to it. But it'll be interesting to see, honestly, because DeSantis has, you know, he has a few months to decide. He basically has all of the rest of 2022, and I'd say about until September of 2023. He basically has to come to a decision, am I going to run for the presidency? And... It's very intriguing because it seemed like the plan beforehand was Trump would win. Let's I'm being I'm being using hypotheticals hypotheticals of course, but the plan being that Trump would win in 2024, and then DeSantis either as vice president or whatever else would uh, 
uh, run in 2028 and kind of continue that and go so on and so on. However, that's not looking like the plan right now. It seems like DeSantis is now at his peak popularity nationally, among Republicans, that is, about whether should he face Trump. It would be a very it'd be very interesting to see them two go at it. However, I did notice during uh, the speech at Mar-a-Lago last night that I actually saw on Twitter earlier today, it was kind of a comparative post. It was a 2016 rally of Trump like before he was elected for his first term and then like also, a, gosh, it was six years ago. Anyways, um, a lot can happen in six years. The energy was not as apparent. It's very apparent Trump is, he was old before, but the energy that he brought in 2016 has dissipated. It's gone for the most part. Like he was kind of just kind of rambling for most of the night. I think it's also apparent uh, Trump's popularity when the highest ranking politician after Trump that was actually in attendance for his announcement was uh, Madison Cawthorn, which you don't, if you don't know, he lost in the primaries like way before uh, the general midterm election. Well, let's get off GOP infighting for a bit. Let's go back to the national stage. Runoff to Electric Boogaloo in Georgia. This is the second election in a row that everything is coming down to Georgia. Literally. The last election, the Senate hung in Georgia's balance, and now it's back again in Georgia's balance, which is a very interesting state. Because it seemed like for most people, oh, Brian Kemp is going to carry uh, Herschel Walker to the Senate. That did not happen, actually, in fact. Uh, it was a very tight race. Herschel Walker was up for a good half of the night, but at least the polls and numbers changed uh, when they were counting the ballots at least five to six times before uh, Warnock, with a 0.5% lead, uh, took, took over. He did not reach that 50% mark, leading to a runoff. December 6th, only those two, Warnock and Walker, head-to-head. Um, I believe they're, the campaign season's already, it's already on, it's already, it's already going. It's all, It's way going. Because you got to keep in mind, three weeks, three weeks after Thanksgiving, December 6th, there will be another election in Georgia between only Herschel Walker and uh, Warnock. Now, you might ask, well, why do they have this runoff rule? Why did it happen in the first place? Well, it's because uh, the Libertarian candidate uh, took 2% of the vote, which was enough to basically screw over both uh, Warnock and Walker into not winning the same night. So we'll see how those people who voted Libertarian in that election are going to choose in the runoff. Now, you could say... With confidence, oh, well, if they voted Libertarian, they'll probably vote Republican. Maybe. Maybe not. Libertarians are kind of smushed in with Republicans a lot when they really shouldn't be. Like the most Libertarian-esque Republican is Rand Paul, you know, son of Ron Paul. But even he is very, like, different in comparison to, like, the mainstream Libertarian Party. Like, he's no Gary Johnson, don't remember him from 2016 but so it'll be interesting to see how that two percent will impact the runoff we shall see obviously pastor versus football player very interesting 
It's very interesting dynamic. A lot of night, a lot of interesting people this time around. So it'll take place. There'll be heavy campaigning has begun. You know, I mentioned earlier, Trump said, like, we must do everything we can to elect Walker and to help him. We'll see how that goes. Honestly. But just, you know, everyone's eyes in Georgia. I said it earlier. The standings are currently 47 Democrats, two independents. That vote Democrat every single time. And then 50 House Republicans or yeah, 50 Senate Republicans. So we'll see how it goes in Georgia. The 50-50 or 50-48, according to the Associated Press. Now, um, let's go to some oddities I found. Uh, the election system has become kind of very contested. What do I mean by this? I mean, people are very kind of much losing trust in it. Uh, California like came out with a report saying it's going to be a month before all the, all their votes are counted in districts with like less than a million people in it. Or like just very, I don't know. It doesn't seem right. Because a lot of states never had trouble. Like the West Coast didn't have trouble counting at all in 2020. Like, I remember specifically, I mean, it was obvious, but, like, in 2020, every single seat was called basically immediately. I mean, I was expecting Arizona and Nevada to basically take at least a few days. Luckily, we got those results in Nevada, Democrat Senator, GOP Governor, Arizona, Dem Senator, Dem Governor. Very interesting, honestly. Uh, Oregon. No, it took forever, a few days before everything was called, the House was called. The Senate was called instantly, just no doubt about that. Um, was interesting, Pennsylvania was called, both of its major races, uh, Governor Shapiro, or now Governor-elect Shapiro and Senate-elect Fetterman winning basically on election night by wide, wide enough margins against both of uh, Trump's G, uh, endorsed candidates, uh, Mastrano and uh, Oz. And if feel like the slowness of the election process, or at least just accounting, have had many people kind of losing um, faith in, or tr faith and trust in the election process as it seemed to be slower in areas this year than it was last year. Flor like States like Florida, you know, after the whole butterfly ballot uh, shenanigans that happened in 2000 that saw Bush win by like 500 votes, uh, like in the middle of a recount. And um, basically Florida had to redo their entire electoral or election system to count so everything can be efficiently counted on election night. Leading to, there's just become an over more increase in calls for election reform or just counting reform, I guess. Nothing of note will ever happen, of course, because, you know, the election process is different state by state. Oregon rules are different than Pennsylvania and then different than Nevada, and Nevada's is different than Arizona and so on and so on and so on. Now, talking about voting, I want to bring this up. 
It's been become a very interesting topic, ballot harvesting. It's a very interesting strategy, completely legal in Oregon. I'm not 100% about the legality of it in every state, but I know it's legal in, say, Oregon, Virginia, and Florida, which is what I'm going to talk about today. So ballot harvesting, it's very simple. Basically, party members go to fellow party members' houses to collect their ballots for them and to then to drop them off at election facilities. Uh, it's predominantly used in a vote-by-mail state, but with absentee ballots a thing, now every state can be vote-by-mail, depending on if that state allows it or not. Like, literally, I had a ballot harvester come to my house the day of election day. Like I was just cooking my pizza. I was just, I got a pizza. I was cooking it, and, like, I realized, oh, hey, did you already vote? I was like, yeah, I turned it in already. And it was like, oh, okay, have a good day. And then he left. Now, here's the thing. I've seen debates within the GOP space, small Twitter accounts to basically large personalities saying that maybe the Republicans should embrace ballot harvesting and vote by mail, in which their argument for that is since there's a lot of um, senior citizens that lean or vote Republican most of the time, that it would be beneficial that these people who are most likely registered party members then have their ballots collected and thus getting more Republican votes in election in elections. While while as the counter argument, I guess I should bring this up, uh, Trump during his speech last night basically said that there should only be uh, election day voting with paper ballots and that those ballots should all be counted by that night. Going a bit away from the midterms, I know we've been talking about it for a very, very long time so far. Let's head back to the east. Uh, in Ukraine, big, big development there. So a stray missile has hit in Poland, killing two Polish citizens. Early reports say that it was a Russian missile. Other reports are now saying that it was a Ukrainian misfire from an air defense that was trying to intercept the Russian missile. President Zelensky has come out and said that NATO should take action against Russia, basically saying that it was a Russian missile. And then other U.S. officials are saying, yes, this was entirely Russia's doing one way or the other. Times remain very, very tense. Along with that, Biden has promised uh, basically billions and billions more in aid to Ukraine and their effort against Russia, in which the Ukrainian armed forces had actually recently started pushing in and or have liberated parts of Kyrgyzstan. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. It's a southern Ukrainian city that sits on, sits, sits on the mouth of a river that connects to the Black Sea. Very, very vital strategic point. It was basically the main point of entry for Russian forces to continue pushing out west. However, their push has come to a staggering halts and... Ukrainian forces have counterattacked immensely and are now overall succeeding in the war. In other news, uh, Biden-related news, Biden made a statement on the midterms basically saying, you know, we're very confident we might lose the House, but we're prepared to work with Republicans and McCarthy, and also saying that he's pretty confident that they're going to hold the Senate, which it's very much looking like that. In all honesty, my personal prediction, Warnock's going to take it. I, I think so. If I'm wrong twice in a row, 
Uh, take my predictions with a grain of salt from now on. I don't know. It's just a gut feeling. Warnock won in 2020. I feel like he's going to win in 2022 against Walker. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see. Anyways, another Biden-related news. Uh, G7, G20 summits, which are basically global world leader summits, have been happening ongoing this week. Everybody's been there. Macron, uh, I believe MBS was there. Xi Jinping, Justin Trudeau, uh, Biden himself was all there. Various reasons they're meeting, climate change, diplomacy, etc. Other Biden-related news. Uh, Biden's student loan forgiveness has is now at a screeching halt. Some courts have, a judge in Texas has blocked the has blocked the uh, order from the Biden administration, and currently no no more uh, applications for aid. No, not at all. In other Biden news, Biden has commented also saying that the Democrats will not have the votes to codify Roe v. Wade, basically make abortion legal on a federal level. Uh, if you don't remember, after the Supreme Court overturned the Roe v. Wade decision, the House Democrats voted in favor of codifying Roe v. Wade. And then in, and then in, when it got to the Senate, it lost by a single vote. Basically, Kamala was unable to tiebreak it. It would have been a very historic tiebreaker, but because of the singular West Virginian fella, Joe Manchin. Manchin? has basically screwed over Biden and his entire administration and legislative agenda. And this is just, that was salt on the wound. Like, literally, I wasn't expecting. It was interesting, too, because he said, oh, I'm very disappointed that Roe v. Wade is being overturned. However, I'm going to vote against legalizing abortion in the country. He's here to stay. He's up for re-election in 2024. So if he wins re-election and Biden wins re-election, then he's still going to be a thorn in Biden's side because they're not going to primary him, like, at all. He's, the, he's, he's easily one of the most hated Democrats in the nation, but he's definitely popular with his constituents because he represents his constituents. He's been doing that. That's his goal. That's his aim. He's a self-proclaimed conservative Democrat. Who knew such a thing could exist? He's, like, literally a dino. You know, Democrat in name... Only, you know, it's like Romney, Rhino Dino. These are very interesting terms. Anyways, gas prices, uh, strategic reserve, getting close to empty. Uh, gas is down, however. It's 442 a gallon in my area. Not the 250 that I was. Not the 250 at all. It's better than it being $5 over 5 However, that remains to be seen. If it will go down or up, uh, we'll see. We have been seeing some interesting developments. Venezuela, who have been, Venezuela has been going under a massive financial crisis for who knows how long at this point under President Maduro. Maduro basically nationalized the Venezuelan, Venezuela's oil and now his economy has basically gotten turned for the worst and conditions there are horrible. However, Maduro is now being greeted by Western nations. Uh, primarily, there was a recent shoot, photo shooter video of uh, President Macron of France uh, greeting Maduro as a friend. 
why do I why do I mention this? Well, Venezuela is actually uh, on one of the largest oil reserves in the world. I mentioned this uh, on the last show that Biden could get buddy buddy with Maduro to get some sweet sweet oil to hopefully reduce prices. Long term, not a great idea. Short term, it could be the solution. However, that remains to be seen. That's gonna wrap up our show today. Thank you all for listening. This has been Capitol Hill Landscaping with Scotty. And I will see you next time. Take care.